Amen. Well, we are still in 1 Thessalonians, and we've been looking at the hope of the Christian life, the hope of the Christian life, which is that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And uh, we looked at specifically his return in the clouds. Um, But now we're going to sort of look at our lives now and what we should be doing with it as we await this time of eternity. But think about that, eternity. How, how hard, it, I mean, to even wrap your, our minds around eternity is impossible. I mean, if you live a hundred years in this life, you've considered, you're someone who's considered to live a particularly long life. You've lived a full century. Some make it. I think I've done at least one funeral for someone over a hundred, maybe two. Um, and maybe you know someone who's over a hundred, but that's a long life, one century. But can just compare that to 10,000 years as the songs like to see, when we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun. A hundred gets sort of dwarfed in the reality of of 10,000 years. But now compare it to a million years, right? We can't even even sort of understand what a million-year life would be like. Now to a a billion years. Let's just keep going. How about a, a Googleplex? And you're saying... Pastor Rick, you just made that word up. No, I didn't actually. It's a real word. It's, uh, I think it's um, one with 10 to 100 zero, 10 to the 100th power, zeros after it. So um, it's a very, very big number. Imagine being around for that long. Imagine nines, just nine, 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 just repeating infinitely in span. What is that 100 years? <laughs> We, we can't even sort of comprehend this idea of living for eternity. We understand that God is infinite and he's eternal. But if he loves us and we're his children, we're his sons and daughters, then he's going to keep us with him for all eternity. So if that's true, what is this hundred years at its max really like? I mean, it pales in comparison. Well, ultimately then, it's really about getting ready for what is to come. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Let's stay awake and sober, waiting for Jesus' coming. Let's stay awake and sober, waiting for Jesus' coming. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you are aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security Then sudden destruction will come upon them, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. 
This is the word of the Lord. And again, he ends similarly the, the way he ended the last section. Encourage one another. This is this hope. The Christian hope is meant to put courage into us to persevere and continue on. But there's an outline, of course. Remember that no one knows when except God, verses 1 to 3. Then be children of the light, not of the dark. And finally, stay focused on our salvation as the day gets closer. So first, remember that no one knows the day or the hour. No one knows the season or the year. He reminds them, again, that nobody knows when this is going to be. When it comes to times and seasons, times is often used as a synonym for years. Um, When it comes to the year then and the season of the year, uh, he says, we don't have to write to you about it. And the reason we don't have to write to you about it is because when we were with you, we already told you that it's going to happen suddenly. (laughs) It's going to happen like a thief in the night. Uh, You should already know that you can't know the day or the time. And you can imagine, I think it's sort of human nature. We all want to know when. You know, when is it going to be, Pastor Rick? When is, when is Jesus coming back? Is it going to be this year? Is it going to be next year? Is it going to be 100 years from now, 1,000 years? Um, uh, as he says here, we don't know when the day of the Lord will come. That term day of the Lord has a long history. In the Old Testament, the day of the Lord is sometimes used just to refer to a decisive day that God works in. Uh, Maybe it's a time of destruction, for example, when the northern kingdom of Israel fell in 722 to the Assyrians. Or in 586, when the southern kingdom fell to Babylon, the day of the Lord came, the day that he had warned them against. But sometimes in the Old Testament, and then clearly in the New Testament, it refers to the final day, the capital D day, the day of God's decisive action in the end, when it all comes to judgment. He says this day comes like a thief in the night. And I think we could pretty much understand what he's getting at there. Jesus used a parable describing it similarly, the thief coming in the night. He comes suddenly. He comes unexpectedly. If you knew when a thief was going to show up, you would lock the doors, call the police, and get out of the house, right, or whatever. You would make sure the house was well guarded. You would take all your valuables out of the house. That's the idea. A thief wants to come when no one knows he's coming. This day comes suddenly. As he says, people will be saying, peace and security. Everything is going on as it always does. I got a nice full 401k. My house is paid off. Things are going well. I pay my taxes And everything is going just as normal. And then he says, suddenly God says, this is the day. And it comes to an end. He uses the example of pregnancy, which I think is a really good one. Because you can sort of know when the time is approaching. But typically you don't know the exact date. Unless it's a scheduled C-section. So my first child was not a scheduled C-section. The second one was. So the second one we knew. But the first one came Suddenly and unexpectedly, and the whole process was one that really surprised and shocked us. And so it is with the day of the Lord here. When is Jesus coming? When is this going to happen? We talked about him returning on the clouds. Short answer, we don't know. And it's probably not a good idea to guess. Many people throughout church history have tried to guess 
um, in all different cultures, by the way. Here in the United States, there's a long history of Christian groups guessing on the day of Christ's return, but also around the world. Um, there's a, one in, in Korea, for example, and I'm you know, half Korean here, um, where people sold everything, publicly stated this is going to be the day, and when the day came and passed, people actually began to even take their own lives in despair. Not a good idea to guess. In fact, the Bible again and again tells us we don't know when. Mark tells us this, the Gospel of Mark, through the mouth of Jesus, through the Gospel of Mark. Concerning the day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. And perhaps here, meaning in his earthly ministry, but only the Father. Similarly, Matthew 24, uh, concerning that day or hour, no one knows. Luke says it just as in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They'll be eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage, peace and security. And then all of a sudden the flood came, so it will be on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Second Peter 3, 4, they will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. But don't overlook this, friends, that beloved, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. By the way, a little hint that it may take thousands of years before the Lord returns. The Lord's not slow in fulfilling his promise as some count slowness, but is patient, not wishing that any of you should perish, but all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And even as we get to Second Thessalonians, Lord willing, in the upcoming month here, uh, it talks about Concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. In other words, we don't know when it will be. So what then? We'll keep working to accomplish the mission. Keep loving, keep witnessing, and say, come Lord Jesus whenever you're ready. God isn't slow, he's patient. Every day that goes by, and a lot of days have gone by since Jesus came, is God's mercy. Because every single day, more people are coming to know Jesus. And heaven's population grows. <laughs> Think about that. Around the world, who knows, 10,000 people come to faith every single day in the world. And every day that God waits is mercy and mercy and mercy until God says, okay, but the day has finally come. Now, you might say, that's great, Pastor. Can't you tell me a little bit more than that? <laughs> I mean, I'm really interested in this stuff. Can, can, can you give me a little bit more about when? Okay, so just like the pregnancy thing. We don't know when it's going to happen, but you can, you can know when a pregnancy is approaching, right? Is there anything else that the Bible says about this? Yeah, a few things. I'll give you a few things, right? First of all, the gospel has to reach the end of the earth. So that's one thing Jesus said, Acts chapter 1. Gospel goes from Jerusalem, Jerusalem uh, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, and then he will return. In the same way he was taken into the clouds. So one thing we know for sure the gospel is going to reach is going to be some from every tongue and tribe and nation under heaven. Secondly, I would say this. The Jewish people will begin to truly receive their Messiah, Jesus. I get this from Romans 9 through 11, well worth reading and thinking about, but particularly if their rejection has meant salvation for the world, what would their acceptance mean but the resurrection from the dead? 
Where are we as far as that goes? I asked uh, Chosen People Ministries. We're, we're right now about 2.2% <laughs> of the Jewish people believe. We, we seem to be a long way off. However, that's more people, more Jewish Christians, Messianic Jews than in all of history. One other thing is the man of lawlessness will have to arise. Second Thessalonians. Um, I think Jesus talks about him as the Antichrist. Uh, that Paul talks about him as the man of lawlessness. Revelation talks about him as the false prophet. Who is that, Pastor Rick? I have no idea. <laughs> so well, I don't know who this person is, but this figure, the Bible is pretty consistent, says arise. And as the book of Revelation describes, a time of great tribulation will happen. Now, all that being said, I still believe it could be today. You say, well, how could that be, Rick? First of all, I don't know what all the ends of the earth means. How close does that have to be? Are we there yet? Maybe we pretty much are there. The gospel is almost available everywhere in the world. What about the Jews? I don't know. Is 2.2% enough? I mean, there are many messianic Jews in the world. Uh, Who is this man of lawlessness? Maybe he's already come. So I don't know if it could be this afternoon or a hundred years from now. But we do know, as he says right here, he will come suddenly as a thief in the night and we're called to be ready. Which is the next section, four through seven. Be children of the light, not of the dark. Be children of the light, not of the dark. Um, So what does he say? What are we supposed to be doing right now during this time as we're waiting for the return of the Lord? He says that you are not in darkness for that day to surprise you. Notice I said he comes suddenly, he comes unexpectedly, but I didn't say he comes surprisingly. Because for those who are in Christ, it shouldn't be a surprise. There's a difference between sudden and surprise, right? He'll come suddenly, meaning we don't know when it's happening, but we are waiting for this return. For us as Christians, he doesn't come like a thief to kill, steal, and destroy. He comes as a loving Savior to redeem us. We are children of the light, children of the day, as he says here. Children who are sober, not of the night, not of darkness, not of drunkenness. What is he using? He's using symbols here, of course, to describe blindness and ignorance, a a lack of any expectation that this whole thing is going to ever end, as if it just goes on circularly forever and ever. But not only that, spiritual darkness and sin. He says, let's not sleep as others do. He talks about people sleeping at night, getting drunk at night, because usually what happens is you drink and then you fall asleep, right? So that's what the world does, he says, but you stay awake and alert and sober and ready, vigilant for this day at all times. Not drunk with the pleasures of this world, not numb to the things of God, but always alert and waiting. Now, what do, we get, what do we get distracted with? What do we get drunk with? Uh, there's a number of different things, just thinking through this. Obviously, sin itself. Uh, the temptations that we face, greed, and our addictions, like drunkenness. So that's not, it's used as a symbol, but it could certainly refer to drinking as well. But the enticements of this world, they're so appealing. <laughs> they're so desirous. We're pulled away into them. We're intoxicated by them. The good things. It's not just sin. There's the good 
You know, the good is the greatest enemy of the great. You've probably heard that before. But there are many good things in this world that we can be consumed with. Uh, a nonprofit, a, a, co- a social cause, a, a charity that we devote our lives to as if this world is all there is and that this is all that ultimately matters. Let me use one that maybe hits home for some of us here. I think one major distraction that we can easily be intoxicated with is politics. Not a sin, per se, right? To, to follow politics and be, have strong opinions. But those are for this world only. And we are sometimes utterly consumed by it. And I think this in particular has been a failure for the evangelical church in America. Many non-Christians, if you ask them, what is an evangelical Christian, they will give you a political answer. Because we have so associated ourselves with the politics of this world that we've missed the fact that we are getting intoxicated and drunk as if this world is all that matters. Friends, I would just say this. Pray for your new president and his cabinet. It is your biblical responsibility to do so and wish what is good for our country as he seeks to lead and those surrounding him. And one other thing we get intoxicated with, this is me for sure, life. (laughs) Uh, We just go get used to just getting up, going to work, coming home, eating dinner, watching TV, going to bed, doing some hobby on the weekend and just doing it over and over and over, fixing up the house and making sure the garden looks good and just so going through the routine of life and missing the fact that, by the way, this whole thing is going to suddenly come to an end. How do we stay vigilant then? How do we stay children of the lights, children of the day, stay focused on and alert? Um, I think I'm going to give you a very common set of answers because they haven't changed in 2,000 years. Um, God has given us certain helps to stay vigilant. This is what he calls us to do. First of all, read the Bible. It's your book. You know, the Bible is not written primarily for Pastor Mike and I. Did you know that? There's a couple books in there. First, Second Timothy, Titus. But most of it is not written for pastors exclusively. Us too, don't get me wrong. But it's written for you. It's your book. God wrote it for Christians in general, for all of us to read and be faithful. Read it regularly, read it daily. It will definitely get your mind focused on eternal things. Prayer, another help that God has given us, pray. Pray at noon, pray daily, pray before meals. I think it's a good habit to have. Bring that back, praying before meals. Is it a sin if you forget to pray before a meal? No, it's not a sin. However, pray before meals is a good, praying before meals is a good reminder to be praying together. Pray as a family, pray as a couple, pray when you're alone. And people say, well, I don't like praying alone. You know, I start to fall asleep or whatever. I like praying with other people. Just try working that with your spouse, right? I like spending time with you when we're hanging out with other friends. I just don't really like that one-on-one time. <laughs> I don't think that'll go too well. Uh, if that's you, then come and see Pastor Mike or I for marriage counseling uh, because you're going to need some. But uh, no, I mean, we, we spend time with the Lord together, but there's that alone time with him too. And then the third help is the church. Don't underestimate this gift. God has given you the gathering people of God, a family spiritually, on Sundays and community groups and phone calls and in small gatherings. That's how we stay vigilant and focused. 
Verses 8 through 11. Maybe we could say this is a fourth way or its own separate category. Just keep thinking. Keep focusing on your salvation as the day gets closer. Paul gets to some specifics here, talking about this salvation we have in Christ. He says, put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. Hopefully you notice there the triad, the, the, uh, the biblical triad there, faith, hope, and love. And once again, in Thessalonians, hope comes third rather than in the middle. Usually love comes last, right? But here hope. Why? Because the emphasis is on that third one, hope. The hope of the helmet of salvation. You also might have said, Rick, this is the armor of God. I thought that was in Ephesians. Well, it's not the only place. It's in Ephesians. Um, it's in Colossians. It's also in Isaiah. Did you know that? In the Old Testament. But in Isaiah, the armor belongs to God. Isaiah fifty nine seventeen. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. It's as if God's giving us his armor so that we can continue to fight and be faithful. And he says here, God has not destined us for wrath. I like this definition of the wrath of God. It is the settled and just judgment of God. This day is not a good day for everyone. Talk more about that in just a bit, but not destined us but to obtain salvation through Jesus. For us, it is a good and glorious day as our salvation will be full. By the way, the Bible talks about our salvation in the past tense. We have been saved. It talks about it in the present tense. We are being saved. And actually, most commonly, it talks about our salvation in the future. We will be saved as we are declared righteous on that day, clothed in Christ. We, are declared, uh, we obtain salvation through Jesus who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, and in this context he's talking about death. I know he just kind of confusingly switches it. Before, sleep means not alert. Here he's talking about death. Whether awake or asleep, dead or alive, we will be with him. Encourage one another with us. I want to focus a little bit there on that he died for us is perhaps one of the most important no forget that it is the most important part of the Christian faith and so often misunderstood why did Jesus have to die for us many sort of have answered that well Jesus is just a good man he died for what he believed in and I think one famous historian said he threw himself upon the wheel of history and was crushed by it as the turning of time continued on and on and on. Far better way to describe that, I think, is that it was an example to us of love. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his uh, his life for his friends. Okay, that's good. But how is it an example of love? I mean, just to go die... Is not an example of love. Explain how it is. And this is the primary thread throughout Scripture. He died for us as atonement. From the very beginning of the Bible, the punishment for sin was very clear. Of all the 
fruit of, the, of all the trees in the garden you may eat, but of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you must not eat, for on the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And yes, God in his mercy extended some time before that death occurred for Adam and Eve. Sin equals death. Throughout the whole history of Israel, the center of their worship was the tabernacle or temple and what happened there, but the death of tens of thousands of animals. In fact, this is true of almost any religion. There's a sacrificial element to it. By the way, the picture there is Agnes Dei by Francisco de Zerbaran, 1635 to 1640. Why the Passover lamb? Why sin offerings? Why the day of atonement? Because sin equals death. As John Owen said, we owe God a death for our sin. And Jesus, who is fully human, like us, and fully God, to redeem many, was a ransom for us who took that death in our place and purchased us eternity. Friends, you either owe God your death still and we'll face, for, face it on the day of the Lord or that death is paid in full for us. Reflect on this, friends. Make sure you're guarded with the breastplate of faith and love. Why, why a breastplate? Why only, notice he only uses two, two items of armor. One is the breastplate. What does the breastplate do? It guards your heart. Guards your bowels. Guards your guts. <laughs> guards the, your essential organs, right? Reminds me of Proverbs, above all else, guard your heart. Fill it with faith in the Lord Jesus and love for your neighbor. You know, I noticed that when someone's heart is no longer in it, their body, it's not long before their body follows, right? Somebody is, is coming to church and you can sense their heart just isn't in it anymore. It's just a matter of time before their body follows them out the door. And vice versa, by the way. Where your heart goes, your body follows. And then the helmet of the hope of salvation. What does the helmet protect? Your, your brain, your head, your mind, right? Um, fill your mind with hope. Focus on the things that matter. Focus on the gospel. We can't do this alone. We cannot persevere faithfully as children of the day alone. We need God's grace. We depend upon him and encourage one another. Once again, this day is not a day to dread or to fear for those who have had their death paid for in Christ. It's a day to anticipate and await eagerly. I'm looking forward to this day. I don't know if it'll be in my lifetime or not, but I am eagerly looking forward to the day of the Lord when he returns. He will come suddenly, but not as a surprise. He calls us to stay alert and to stay sober, not intoxicated with this world. And he calls us to keep our mind, our hearts focused on the hope of salvation. Imagine 
walking around a Googleplex years from now. <laughs> One to the, no, no, 10 to the 100th power. And thinking, man, the things I worried about back in 2021, <laughs> right? The things that consumed my life. Friends, this life matters. Of course it does. It matters because it prepares us for eternity. Will you be faithful? Think about this. Your 100 years, we'll give you that maximum amount, is your one and only opportunity for all eternity to be faithful to the Lord in the midst of suffering. It's your one opportunity to say, God, you are greater than my sinful temptations. God, in the midst of grief and hardship and pandemics and sickness, I will worship you as we await your return. There is a time limit to this life. The clock is ticking at the finish line is approaching and then chapter 2 begins let's be ready Would you pray with me gracious father thank you so much for the truth of your word and again the reminder we need these reminders i need these reminders regularly that this world is not our final destination that we are called to remember the gospel we are called to stay awake and stay alert. We don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know when the day of the Lord is here. But we want to be children of the light, children of the day, awake and alert and waiting for Jesus. Lord, keep us focused on our salvation. We owed a debt, and that debt is paid in full through our Savior. Help us then, Lord, to share, witness, express broadly and clearly our gratitude to you for saving us. Be with us as we continue to worship in Jesus' name. Amen.